How's everybody doing tonight? That was pitiful. Y'all got to get this thing for 30. Y'all are wearing me out. I said, how is everybody doing tonight? Isn't this a whole lot, a little participation? I like that, a little participation. Uh, hey, I'm so excited to be with, uh, here with you today and just had a great day. And, uh, you know, Lord is just so good. Had uh, time with friends and uh, time with the Lord. And uh, so it was, it's been a great day. Uh, I, I only met Andy uh, on uh, Saturday night for the very first time. But he has a knack for introducing my sermons. He did that perfectly uh, on Saturday night and, uh, and, uh, and again tonight. So uh, I look forward. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 13. And uh, as, you were, uh, as you're turning there, uh, boy, I, I agree with everything the pastor says about raising your hands, Okay. Uh, we in the Baptist Church have left have let some other people scare us out of our right to raise our hands and praise God. And yes, we are opening our hands, saying, "God, fill me." But you know, if you raise one hand, it's half of this. I surrender. Okay, I give up. Okay, and uh, that thing about you have to you have to empty your cup for the Lord to fill your cup. Okay, and so you got to get yourself out of the way. And, uh, and, and then you, and that simply means that you agree, you confess your sin, which is agree with God that you're a sinner and he is right. And then you repent, confess that sin and repent of that sin. And then your relationship to him is restored. Okay. Judges chapter 13, uh, while you're turning there, uh, it's, uh, the judges is the recording of seven different events where the nation of Israel would be in right relationship with God, they would fall into sin, and then God would send some people like the uh, Philistines or the, you know, Tim, you know, all those different groups. I can't think of the name of those right now, but all those different people. And they would come in and they would beat up on Israel, take them captive, throw them into slavery because of their rebellion against him, and they say, oh, dear God, please forgive me. And God will forgive them and restore them to grace. And then, here they go again. They'd be in right relationship with God. They'd fall into sin. He'd send somebody to judge them. And they'd, oh, God, please forgive me. And the book of Judges records this seven times. And I, you know, I read that, you know, and I said, I said, God, what is wrong with these people? They just seem, can't just seem to get it right. And God said to me, what about you, fat boy? <laughs> Have you got things you struggle with all the time over and over? Keep coming back? Don't have to, you just don't know what to do? That's what, that's what it is. It's the fact that, that we all struggle. We we're, we're all commit sin, and we've all got to learn to confess our sin. We've got to daily confess our sins. We've got to keep our accounts See, if you, before you get saved, your sin separates you from God in relationship. But after you get saved, your sin, which you're going to commit, it affects your fellowship. And see, I mean, how else could a group of people get together and get in a fight over the color of the walls in a sanctuary? Oh, get quiet in, huh? 
Heard this story about one time the church was voting on whether or not to buy some new chandeliers. This guy stood up and says, we don't need a chandelier. And if we had one, we got nobody that can play it. <laughs> you know what? I mean, you know, can, I'll tell, can I tell you a little secret? People, Christian people that are out of fellowship with, with God are some pretty mean people. Because, see, they, they, they're saved, so they can't go hang out with their drinking buddies and have fun. And they're out of fellowship with God, so you can't have any fun with God's people. And so you're just left to your own devices. That, I won't charge you for that. <laughs> but anyway, and so in Judges chapter 13, uh, God announcing the, announces the birth of Samson. Chapter 13, verse 5 says, uh, his mother was barren. She could not conceive. And he comes to her, and he speaks to her, okay? What did we talk about last night? We talked about the fact that if you belong to God, he's speaking to you. And he speaks to her and says, Lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, because the boy shall be a Nazarite from the mother's womb, and he will begin to deliver the nation of Israel out of captiv captivity of the Philistines. It says here that he, um, that he will be born and he'll be a Nazarite for birth. Now, uh, we've got we to figure here this thing about, about confessing your sin. Uh, I, I, I've, just been, I've been praying all afternoon how to better communicate. But, you know, when Satan comes after you, number one, Satan gets blamed for a whole lot of stuff that he doesn't do, okay? You have your own flesh. That's right. You have your own flesh that takes you away. You have the temptations of the world that takes you away, and, if, and that usually is enough, and Satan doesn't have to get involved. But if, if, if all those not working enough to, keep, to make you, uh, you know, totally useless in the kingdom of God, what he'll do, and when come, Satan comes after you, he don't come after you with an ax. He just don't come to kill you. You know what he comes with? He comes with a long, nasty fingernail. And you know what he starts doing? He starts picking and probing and until he finds a little loose place, a little weak place in your armor. And he'll start picking right there, and he'll pick, and he'll pick, and he'll pick, and you'll start down the spiral of drifting away from God. And sooner or later, you are useless to the kingdom of God because he's won. He has exposed sin. He's, he's, he's exposed sin in your life. And you refuse to do, deal with it, and your relationship with God is never affected, but your fellowship with Him is cut off. Church attendant, you know, we got a great crowd tonight, but I just almost bet you that I know that, that, that there's only, of the people here tonight, we're only about 50% of the membership of the church or more. Where are the other 50%? Well, some of them were pretending, and they were never saved. But the others have just drifted away. Hebrews chapter 2 says that you and I must guard against drifting lest we lose our salvation. We have to guard our salvation. We have to, it's precious, and we've got to hold it tight. And what this is referring to is in, in, in the Navy today, they have a thing called anchor watch. 
And a guy stands at attention when that boat is anchored, and he lines up two things to stabilize it on that boat, and he sights something on the beach, and he sits there in eight-hour shifts, and he watches and makes sure that ship doesn't drift. And God says, you have got to watch after your salvation lest you drift. Is there any chance tonight that you might have done some drifting, just a little drifting? It wasn't a major deal. It's just just a little drifting. Maybe you, maybe, maybe you don't sing with the joy that you feel like you're singing. Maybe you don't raise your hand and worship God. Maybe you don't share the gospel. You know, and, and, and the reason is you've just kind of just kind of drifted. It's so easy to just drift away. And the thing about it is, is, or maybe, you know, maybe you're here in church tonight. But you know what? Your life is so hectic. There's so much going on. You got so many irons in the fire. And you come here to church, and you know what? You get to the church house, and it really is just something to do rather than who you are. And that starts with just a little drifting. Is there any chance? And see, the story I'm going to share with you tonight about Samson is about how Samson drifted. How Samson drifted. I've got some notes here, but don't get worried. They're to make me uh, talk less and not talk more. I've got to keep on track here. It says here that Samson was a Nazarite from the mother's womb. He was not a Nazarene as Jesus was from the city of Nazareth, but a Nazareth was a priest in the nation of Israel, and it was that, that they, they, it says no razor shall come on his head, and that's one of the vows he took. He said that he would never cut his hair. But what, what we, most of us don't know, he took two other vows. One was that he would not drink any strong alcohol. He would not drink alcohol, and he would touch, he was touch no dead things. So he was a vegetarian. Not only was vegetarian, he couldn't even touch anything was dead. Do you realize those are exactly the same three vows that you and I took when we got saved? When we say that we want to, see, alcohol and wine is always a picture of you giving control of yourself over to something else. And you and I took a vow when we became a Christian that we would not be controlled by anything else except the Lord Jesus. And so we took that vow about not being controlled by anything but God, just like Samson did. It said that Samson couldn't touch anything dead. Guess what? You and I are never to look back at who we are before we got saved. Because we were dead in trespasses and sin, but praise God, we were baptized, and we were raised to walk in newness of life with the Lord Jesus. And we took that vow. And you know, Samson didn't cut his hair. And you know what? When Samson started, you know, he started walking down the road, people see him, and they could see that he was different because he'd never cut his hair. Now, I, you know, I grew up in the 60s when you had to wear white walls and white socks or you was going to hell, you know. I remember them days. But it's not about the length of your hair. It is the fact that this world has a right to look at you when you call yourself a Christian and they, they demand that you be different. Not weird now, but different. People that you work with, pe people in your family, they have a right to look at you when you name the name of Jesus as your Savior and see that you are different. And they're waiting to see that difference. They're waiting to see that difference. The fact says 
that uh, uh, he was a Nazarite. And it says here that uh, uh, if I were to ask you about what was Samson's problem, what was Samson's problem? What would you say? Uh, that husband Delilah, when she jumped on my boy Samson, he didn't have a change. You know what I'm saying? She just was bad. That's right. Blame a woman. <laughs> Get ready. There's two more involved. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> See, we think that Samson's problem was Delilah, but Samson had a problem with women way before he met Delilah. If you keep reading there in Judges, you'll find out that uh, Samson met this little Philistine girl down in the town called Timath. And he came home after he met her, and he told his mama and the daddy that he wanted to marry her. And his mama and daddy said, no, you better not. And he told the preacher, and the preacher said, you better not. But Samson didn't listen to his mama, didn't listen to his daddy, didn't listen to the preacher. And he started going down and seeing that lady at Timath. I don't stop right here and tell the young people in here tonight. Can I tell you something? Um, under the umbrella of the Word of God and your parents, there's an umbrella of protection. But out from underneath that umbrella, you are on your own. I was taking uh, my daughter to school one day, and this young man, fine young man in the school, uh, it was a Christian school, he was a leader in the church leader in the school, and every day he would drive his dad and his brothers to school, and he would let them off at the front of the school. He would drive around to the, to the parking lot, and he had about five guys that was his posse, and they would all jump in the car, and they would go to the convenience store down the street, and they would get a cinnamon roll and a Pepsi-Cola, and they would drink it on the way back, and then they'd go to class. Well, they, his daddy came, they came to school one day, and it was raining pretty hard, uh, and his daddy said, son, Today, don't go to the store. I need, I need you to promise me you're not going to go to the store. So he went down there, and he got to the parking lot, and there stood his buds waiting in the rain. He thought, ah, it's not that big a deal. And he slipped out from under the umbrella of his dad's protection. And they went down, and they got their drinks, and they came back, and they were running late, and they were going a little fast. And they left the road on the right-hand side. He yanked it back across the bridge, hit a guardrail, came through the car and through him. The car flipped up upside down. I was like the first or second guy to ride on the call. I was there standing. His daddy, after a few minutes, came from the school. It was only two blocks to the school. And I stood there beside his daddy with his daddy saying, I told him not to go. I told him not to go. And guys and gals, you need to realize that under your parents' authority is an umbrella of protection. Your parents are not going to be perfect, and they're always not going to always be right. But can I tell you something? The Bible says, honor your father and mother. Okay? It says here that, that, uh, that when uh, Samson started going down to Timath, he was out, of, out from under the umbrella of his parents' protection, and it talks about when he goes to see her sometime that he took a shortcut through a vineyard. Now, I know we got some skinny people in here today, but I don't know anybody that could walk through a vineyard and not touch the vine. And his vow was so strict that not only was he not to drink strong drink, he couldn't even touch the vine that the grapes grew on. 
And see, before, way before he ever met Delilah, he had broken the first vow that he made to God. And then there's another story in there about how Samson, he was going to see her one time, and this lion jumped out. And the lion jumped out, and he grabbed it and killed, you know, killed it and threw it on the ground. He went to see the girl. When he came back through, the carcass had already decayed. A hive of bees had moved into the carcass, and he looked down in that hive. He saw that, and he reached in that carcass and got him some honey. And what else did he do? Broke the second vow. And before he ever laid eyes on Delilah, he had already broken two of the three vows that he made to God. Have you ever broken a vow that you made to God? Have you promised him some stuff that you didn't come through on? Can I tell you something? You might have forgotten, but he hadn't forgotten. And you know what? If we hadn't come through, we need to confess our sins and ask his forgiveness. Is any any danger in us having slipped away and broken some vows? And if we want God to use us to really fill us up, to, we've got to confess that sin. Confess that sin to God. And when, when, when all hearts are clear and there's no cloud between you and the Heavenly Father and there's fellowship with God, then, then we can have fellowship among each other. But until we get this right, we can't have this. Then, I want to ask you something. Where did Samson's strength come from? Was it, because, was it his size? But besides, you know, uh, you, if you got if some of your kids got a picture Bible, you look over there at Judges, and it's got a picture of Samson, and he's whipping some Philistines, and he's tearing some stuff up, and he's a big old man, you know, and he got big old arms like telephone poles, and a neck like a tree trunk, and he is a bad dude. But that was not Samson at all. You know why I know that? Because every time Samson did something like that, they say, "How you do that?" Well, if he's seven foot tall and got arms like telephone pole, neck like a trinket, I know how he does. He's a bad dude. But guess what? He was about 5'7", go about 155, and he was just a little old bitty wiry dude, and there's no way that he could do what he did except for the power of God in his life. Can I tell you a little secret? There's no way that you can do what you need to do for the kingdom of God unless God does it through you. He's not in, you know, praise God, he gave you some talent, but he's much more interested in your surrender than he is your talent. And when we surrender to him and let him work through us, we can do that. Uh, so Samson's strength was not in his size. Uh, I propose to you that Samson's strength was not in his intellect, okay? Samson was not the sharpest knife in the drawer, okay? <laughs> Samson was like three fries short of a happy meal. You know what I'm saying? He wanted, and I'm going to prove it to you, okay? Samson, he, he gets, you know, he starts going out with Delilah, and some guys, the Philistines, come in and pay her to betray him. And he, she says, Samson, I love you. What is the secret of your strength? She says, well, if you wrap me in reeds, if you tie me in reeds that have never been dried, uh, I'll lose my strength. And he laid his head down on her little lap there, and she tied him up in those reeds like that. 
And she said, oh, the Philistines are coming. And he jumped up and broke the reeds. And he didn't pick up on the fact that she was out to get him, okay? <laughs> so the boy's not real smart. Then she said, oh, no, 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 no. You misunderstood, baby. I meant if you tie me with new ropes, green ropes, that's what that's what will do it right there. He laid his head down on his little lap there. He woke up, looked like the mummy walking out of him, like this. He was all, bra- and you know what? The Philistines come. He got up, broke the ropes. We're not defeating the Philistines. He didn't pick up on the fact that she was out to get him, okay? And then he said, and she said, oh, you don't love me. You're lying to me. And he says, he said, she says, well, what does it take? He says, if you braid my hair in seven locks, it will take away my strength. He laid his head down on her lap and woke up like that. <laughs> she said, the Philistines are coming. He jumps up, whoops them all. No big deal. And finally, she says, you don't love me. You don't care about me. You keep lying to me. And he said, you know what? If you cut my hair, I will break the third vow that I made to him, and I will lose my strength. And he laid his head down on her lap. I heard a preacher say one time, if he had spent more time on his knees instead of her knees, he'd been a whole lot better off. Amen? And he laid down, and she shaved his head. And then one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible is Judges chapter 26, verse, I mean, verses 16, verse 20, 16, 20. Says that Samson jumped up to go out and fight the Philistines, not knowing the power of God had left him. Can I tell you something? That's one of the scariest verses that I've ever read. The fact that I can be up here preaching and I can be doing it in my own strength. And you know what? If Samson didn't even realize God wasn't in him, I could maybe not realize that God's working in me. And I'd just be preaching up here in my own, for my own good. Not for your good, not if it's just me. Is, 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 have you drifted away and possibly the Spirit of God it's not working in your life like it once did. And we, and we don't miss it, and so we don't even think about it being gone. But the, spirit, the, the hand of God has left us. There's one way you can recognize that. You can recognize, but what happened was, is they cut off his hair, and he lost his strength from God, and the first thing they did was put out his eyes and to tie his hands. They took him, and they put him in a mill, a mill where they were grinding wheat or whatever it was, and his job was just to push that mill around and around and around. And they tied his hands so he couldn't do any real work, and they blinded his eyes so he couldn't see anything, and he just was pushing that thing. And what should have been his Christian walk comes nothing but legalistic drudgery. I was speaking to the deacons. We had, lunch, we had dinner together, and they asked me, you know, what, what do I feel like the biggest need in the church is? I says, the church needs to get busy. You know what? Every one of us has a job to do, and every one of us has been gifted to do that. 
And God has given us a call for us to get involved. And you know what? We need to do it. There's nobody in this room has a role any more important than that pastor right there. He's got his job. He does his job. You need to do yours. This is not your hired gunslinger to do all your salvation messages and invite people to church. He's to, he's to lead an example. He's to teach you how. But it's your job to go out and do the work. It's your job to teach the classes of the people who come in. It's your job to work in the nursery so that the other people can teach. Everybody's got a job to do. And we, you know, but you know what? And you, you hear this all the time, but we have become a, a consumer a society in America. It's not, Lord, I'm going to go to church today and I'm going to be a blessing to somebody. No, we come and say, you better bless me or I'm not coming back. When are you going to start being a blessing to other people? When are you going to start serving other people? You know, you can talk about your spirituality and all this other thing, and, you know, it doesn't matter, you, whatever you want to talk about. But, you know, the, the simple test is how much are you serving? Jesus came to serve. If we are little Christians, we will be people who serve. Jesus said, I didn't come to rule, I came to serve. How much serving are you doing? How much do you serve other people? Well, I take real good care of my kids. The Bible says, hey, if you just love and serve those that you like, you've not loved and served. Those are easy. What about the people you don't like? And, oh, yeah, by the way, my Bible says the world will know us because we got carpet and padded pews, right? Is that what it says? Uh, we got a big choir. They'll know we're, we're, we're Christians because we got a big choir. We got two services. Everybody know we're Christians because we got two. What does it say? They will know us by our love one for another. When I go back to my home church where I was raised, I go there and I speak sometimes. And as I look out over that congregation, uh, I look out and at least three-quarters of the people in the audience have whipped me at least once in my life. There's a lady by the name of Grace Thaxon. She never smoked, but she talks like this right here. And Grace Thaxon would sneak around, and the joy of her life was to catch me doing something on Sunday morning, and she'd grab me by the arm, and she'd go, wow! And she'd take me to my mother, and my mother would say, wait till your daddy sees you at home. And Grace, and now I see Grace, and she's, in, she's almost 90 now. And I said, Grace, I said, if you caught me doing anything like she said, no, baby, I will. You know, she's just ready to get me. <laughs> and I wondered, how was that possible? That Grace could 
grab me and whip me and take me to my mama. She might whip me, and then my daddy whipped me, and they were all together. I'll tell you why. Because my mom and daddy trusted the other people in the church. What would happen if I were to spank one of these girls down here? Now, I know they deserve it a lot of times. <laughs> but I bet their mama would rather me not do that. And if I did that in this church, would we give them the keys to the front door first or the back door? Because in about six months, they're going to own the whole place. Because they're going to sue. I'm not talking about your parents. But they're going to sue us, and they're going to get what's theirs. And oh, yeah, until we get that loving each other down, don't tell me you love somebody if you don't trust them. And until we get that love and trust thing down, we might want to change the sign that says Teresa Baptist Club. The world is waiting for us to love and take care of each other. And the world is waiting for them to come through those doors and we love and take care of them. Samson, he'd broken all three vows with God and he got up to fight the Philistines not realizing the power of God had left him. Why? Because he had unconfessed sin in his life. And the power of God was gone. And they put him in that mill and they tied his hands. And his, and his every day was just legalistic drudgery. If, you're, if, you're, if your sins are not confessed and you don't have fellowship with the Lord, your service in this church is nothing but legalistic drudgery. Is there any joy in your service? Or is it just legalistic drudgery? Just doing what you got to do because you got to do it. No. We need to do what we do because we love each other and we care about each other and we serve each other. And can I tell you something? There is great joy in that kind of love and that kind of service. And you know what? And, and, uh, and, the, and the fact is, is when, when people are loving like that and caring about each other, you know, you, know you don't have to motivate people to, to help. If they're being helped, they want to help back. So somewhere it's got to start. It needs to start with somebody tonight that just says, this is going to be honest, Lord, I need to confess my sin. I had an opportunity to be, uh, be under the teaching of Miss Bertha Smith. I don't know if you, anybody have, have heard of you, have heard of her, any of you have heard of her, but she went to be a missionary in China in 1900. She stayed there until 1961, and the Foreign Mission Board retired her, and uh, she didn't want to come home. She was there during the Japanese invasion of China. Uh, she was, I mean, and I can tell you story after story, tremendous lady of faith, stood when uh, nobody could stand. She jumped on a grenade to protect her friends, and it didn't go off, stuff like that. But she came home, and she wasn't done yet. And uh, so she started a place called uh, her ministry, her, her place is called the Pentinel 
of prayer, the face of God. And you would go there, and you would spend three days with her, and in those three days, she would teach you how to biblically, biblically put your sins on the cross and allow God's blood to cover them and to take them out of your life. Men like Peter Lord, uh, Jack Taylor, Manly Beasley, Bill Stafford, I mean, you know, the racehorses of, of Baptist evangelists, they all said that week with her changed their life more than any other single event. I, was, I graduated from the class of 97. She was 97 years old when I was there. You would go into the classroom to teach for like an hour, and she would teach, and then you would take a notebook, a piece of paper, and a pen, and you would take it out into her backyard, which was a prayer garden, and she had these little squares of carpet, and she would hand one to you because you were supposed to sit there, and, and as God showed you the sin in your life, you wrote it down, and when, you, and when you asked God to show it, he showed you, you got on your knees, and you asked God to forgive you. As I was walking out the door, she says, I think you might need two of these, you know. I don't know whether she thought I big enough needed to or I had that much sin in my life. But she taught us how to daily, day by day, and when God convicts you of a sin, if he takes time, of convict, if you can commit a sin, he convicts you of that sin, you need to get on your face and confess that sin. Well, you know, I'll just wait till Wednesday night. Oh, I'll, I'll wait till Sunday school. I'll wait till Sunday morning. And we walk around with unconfessed sin in our life, and it cuts off the fellowship between us and God. Samson was blind. A young boy came to him one day and said, uh, I'm going to lead you. Follow me. He took him and led him into this building. He couldn't see. He had no idea where he was. He says, where am I, son? He said, well, you're standing between the two main support beams. In the temple, and in a few hours, you will be surrounded by Philistine priests. And they've come here to look at you and laugh at you. Oh, I, I, mean, I almost forgot one point, big point. He was pushing that gristmill around, the legalistic drudgery. And you know what? I believe that he was pushing it counterclockwise. You know why? Because I bet he didn't push it three rounds until he said, Dear God in heaven, I should have never got messed up with Delilah. I don't think it took him long to remember that. But it might have been two or three days he was going back in time. And it might have been a few weeks later and he said, Oh, dear Lord, I never thought about it before, but dear God, I reached down in that lion's carcass and I, to get that honey, and, and I broke the vow that I made. Oh, God, please forgive me. And then he pushed her a few more rounds, and he went, goodness. Father, I had drifted away. I didn't think about it. I wasn't serious about the commitment I made to you. And when I walked through that vineyard, I touched those branches, and I broke the first vow. Dear God, forgive me. That thing when Miss Bertha was sitting down and God said, please show me the sin in my life. If you ask, he'll show you. If you'll be honest and say, show me just like I am, he'll show you.
and write it down and confess it and nail it on the cross and it's forgiven, never to be remembered again. Then the young boy, and so the Bible says that Samson's hair began to grow. But I'm telling you something, his, his strength was not in his size, it was not in his brain, it was not in his hair. His strength was in his relationship with God. And he pushed that thing, he got there and he said, son, where am I? He said, you're in the temple, the Philistine temple where the priests are going to come and they're going to laugh and mock you. See, when Samson was pushing that old gristmill, there was, a, there was a, a rail around the top, and the Philistine people would come in there, and they looked down at God's man, and they would laugh at him, and they would laugh at Samson, and they would laugh at Samson's God because there he was. You know what? When we complain and we, we're bothered by the same things everybody at work is and we, we, we're wanting this to happen, that to happen, and we don't trust God for anything, you know what they do? They look at us and they laugh at us and they laugh at our God. They need to be able to look at you and realize there's something different. There's something about you that they got, that you got that they don't, and they desperately need what you got. Samson stood between those two pillars. He waited until the temple was full. Samson had known what it was like to have the Spirit of God working in his life. He knew what it was to do great works, mighty works for the creator of the universe. And he knew how great that was. But Samson also knew what it was like to be away from God. And you know what he did? He stood in that temple, temple, and he felt those columns. He put his hands up like this, and he said, God, I'd rather die right here in one act of obedience than ever leave you again. He said, I don't want to live like that anymore. And he pushed him in. Samson cried, God, don't let me live like that another day. And the Bible says it killed more Philistines than that one act of obedience than the entire rest of his life. You know what? Tonight, there's people in this room, and you know what you need to be saying to God? I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want my service to you to be legalistic drudgery. I want to serve you with joy and gladness. I want to love other people like you love them, Jesus. And I don't want to live like this anymore. Pretending. But you know what? If you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, can I tell you something? You don't need to holler, I don't want to live like this anymore. You need to ask God, please don't let me die like this. The invitation, revival invitation is for the believers. To say, God, there's sin in my life. I want to confess it. I know you'll forgive it. And I want to leave here with no cloud between you and me.
with fellowship. For those of us that aren't saved, the greatest need in your life is to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior before you're thrown out into eternity, eternally separated from God and everything you know. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.